Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. We're going to pick up today where we've left off um, in the past few weeks. We've been learning about the struggles with sin and being separated from God. And I want to start this morning by asking a question. Now, this is just between you and God, so you don't have to answer. You don't have to raise your hand. But how do you know who's good and who's bad? If you're like most people, including me, you kind of have in your mind three, kind of three categories. First, there's bad. No question, these people are bad. And we all have some people would throw in there. Not to judge them, but they're bad. Hitler. You know, people like that. Bad. Then we have people who are really good. People like, you know, Mother Teresa maybe. And, and you might, might hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm a decent person. Good. Then there's everybody else. And that's where we all fall, right? But in that middle category is a whole range of people. And some are worse than others. Some are better than others as far as uh, good and evil is concerned. And think about it a minute. How do you measure that? You. You. The measuring rod is always yourself. Now, come on. When you're driving down a highway, people who are driving slower than us are jerks. Right? People who are driving faster than us are menaces to safety. We are driving the speed that should be driven. Are you going to heaven? Somebody asked me that once. And I was just to say, well, you know, I, I'm not perfect, but I never killed anybody. Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I'm a good person. And this person told me there are a lot of good people in hell. And I couldn't understand that. All we want is justice for the world. But we each carry within us a standard of righteousness based on what we think is good. We will tolerate evil, but only as much evil as what is in us. So sometimes we resent God for not getting rid of evil in the world. But we forget that eliminating all evil in the world meets the end of us. So what we really mean is 
Lord, get rid of all evil that's worse than what's in me. The judgment of God falls on everybody. So why are any of us alive? You know, we should be reduced to a cinder. The answer is God's grace. And that's a wonderful thing. Paul talked a lot about the good news, especially in Romans. But he also talked a lot about bad news. The problem of human depravity. How can anybody understand the need for a savior who doesn't first acknowledge in his or her own self the presence of evil? This brings me to what I want to say. Long story short. Last week, I sang two songs, and I'm singing one as well this week. And in each of these three songs is the word broken. That's a powerful word. And when I was doing some research for this morning, I found that in many places in God's word, it's used in the same context as separation which I'd never thought of before. When we sin, we are separated from God, broken from God. And Floyd said, before we had communion, Jesus was broken for us. He took our brokenness by being broken himself so that we wouldn't have to be. How many of you have heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? And this is a wise saying. I was thinking about this, too. It sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? I couldn't find it. And I couldn't find it on the internet. So it might not really be a proverb. But it sounds like a proverb to me. God is intensely interested in each one of you. That's amazing. Ours is a great God. A God of unlimited power and wisdom and grace. And the most amazing thing is he's concerned about me. He's concerned about you. He knows each of our names. He offers the only way that we can escape sin. He'll gladly take that from us. So, let's look at our saying again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We are all broken. All of us. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying run out and jump in front of a bus. But God requires that we admit that we have sinned. 
admit that we are broken. Jesus lifts the sinner out of sin. In John, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. If Christ draws men to him when he is lifted up, then they too must be lifted up in order to be drawn to him. Psalm 40 says, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He lifts us up. Isaiah is filled with many references to sin and being broken and being separated from God. And I especially find great comfort in this because from the beginning, from before the beginning, God's plan was already there. We were going to be lifted from sin in the future, not to God, but to us. And this was all set out before anything ever started. Chapter 59 in Isaiah says, and, and you know, in my Bible, it actually, the title of it is Separated from God. And it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, that it, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. And, you know, as dark as this seems to be, to me, it's, it's a great comfort because it's there. And, and it was known before it ever happened. This is the plan. This is what's going to happen. God is there to lift you. He's given us the choice. He loves us that much. Admit that you're broken. Admit that you're at the bottom of the heap. And the minute you do, you'll realize there are many, many others that are far worse off than you. You have been given many blessings in your life. You've been given the chance to be new. You just have to ask for it. The song that I want to sing this morning is called Flower in the Rain. And it brings to mind, for me, Isaiah 55, about God's word. But the song is really about a person's struggle with temptation 
and sin and separation from God. And what they believe they want to happen in order to be back with God. Let me just ask a quick question in reference to uh, something that Patty pointed out. And um, is there anyone in here, I know she said don't raise your hand, but how many of you actually drive under the speed limit? The two of us, that's about it. But here's, let me, let me pose this question to you as well. Um, Suppose, uh, let's say, that you are in that place and you acknowledge that you are, as Patty pointed out, you're that broken person. You're that person who is uh, filled with that intense internal struggle. You're that person who is separated from God. And you reach out to God and say, hey, I don't, I don't want to be separated. I want the healing that you can provide. How would you feel if he just left you and said, good luck with that? If he had the the power and the authority, which he does, uh, to restore that brokenness. Healing is one thing. Restoration means you are back to as good or better than you were before. And if God had that authority and he had that power to provide that healing, and he just left you there to work it out on your own. I mean, how would that work out? Now, don't don't hate me. I'm, I'm not being blasphemous or anything. But honestly, for me personally, if that described who God was, I would not serve a God like that. I would not want to serve a God like that. I would be looking for, hopefully, a God who would be willing to reach out and say, I'm not going to leave you to your own devices. Well, apparently the two of us that drive under 55 are with you. Everybody else is, <laughs> is out there. But uh, seriously, but here's the thing. God doesn't leave us in, the, in that position. He doesn't leave us in a state where we are on our own to try to figure out how to restore ourselves in relationship with him and how to get over that brokenness. But here's the thing. The people that are in all of these religions that are trying to work their way to God, those are the ones who say, I have to do that. That God has left me to my own devices. That I've got to do these series of steps and then hopefully I'll be restored to him. Or I've got to uh, do these tasks or, or in some cases, you know, the people that say, well, I've got to go destroy all the other religions. And it's the mentality that says that, hey, God has left us, that this is, this is the end of the line for me unless I do something on my own. But as we've been talking about during the series, God said, yeah, you, sin is separation from God. It's that brokenness. It's that internal struggle. It's that inability to reconcile ourselves. But it's also, uh, as we're going to talk about quickly, it's not the end of your story. God doesn't leave us there. Now, here's the thing. Open your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 15. And we've been walking through the, the parable that Jesus told of the, the prodigal son. 
as many of you know. And uh, really quickly, let me recap for you uh, just who Jesus is talking to, because that's crucial uh, to what he explains. And uh, in verse um, 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And and Jesus is um, responding with this parable based on the presence of who is there. And we said before, Jesus didn't just say, hey, come check me out in the synagogue and I can share some stories with you and and tell you some stuff that will hopefully transform your life. He would teach out of the word of God in the synagogue and then he would go out and meet people where they were at, not to hit them over the head with the Bible, not to preach to them, but to tell them, here is how God can interact your life right now where you are. For every person in every different situation, He was able to say, here's how God can interact with you and transform your life right now where you are. And the people that he was talking to, it tells us again, the tax collectors, and these were the the people who were, the government told them that you can collect money, you know, kind of like H&R Block. You can collect the taxes for people and pay it to the government, but you're able to, whatever you get above that is all yours. And so they were literally robbing the people blind. And these were the people who were, they were doing wrong, but they didn't think so because they said the government says it's okay, the culture says it's okay, I'm not breaking any laws, so it must be all right. The other people that were there were um, the sinners, and these were the people who were doing wrong and didn't care. They're like, yeah, these were the pimps, the prostitutes, the drug dealers, all of these people that showed up, but they showed up because they were interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. And the last group of people over there uh, were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were the people that pretended to do right, but they were actually doing wrong. These were the people that put on the, uh, uh, the false face, so to speak, and said, hey, you know, I've got a big Bible. I'm in church every Sunday, but don't ask me what I did every Friday night. And as, as Jesus told the story, he talked about the son who said, you know, give me my half. The father gave him his inheritance. He packed up took everything he had and left. Cut ties with the family, said, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to live and commit to living this lifestyle. And then he found himself in need. All right? Drop down to verse 14. After he found himself in need, verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, uh, for us, we hear after he spent everything, but you've got to understand that Jesus was indicating that this was a wealthy man. This wasn't a guy whose parents made, you know, 100000 200000 This is a guy whose father, for our day, would be worth millions. And he says, I want my portion of that right now. So the father gives him his portion. And he goes and he blows it. He spent everything, all of it. And he began to be in need. So verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And in verse 16, excuse me, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, uh, here's the key. The consequences of the lifestyle that he was living literally left him in need. It left him wanting. And typically, when, and, and if you know people in your family that are maybe separated from you or uh, maybe kind of cut you off so they can indulge in a lifestyle that, um, as Solomon said in Proverbs 18, I'm paraphrasing, you know, when we cut ourselves off from family and friends and cut ourselves off from God and go to indulge our own flesh, we usually end up doing something stupid. 
And we all know people like that. But when that happens, although their flesh says, oh, this is great, I'm enjoying it, they usually find out it doesn't fulfill the need. It may feel good at the time, but then afterwards, just like the prodigal son, they're feeling lost and empty. And this is, this, is, this is interesting because here's what the son did after he acknowledged that, hey, you know what? This isn't really filling the need that I thought it was. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He did a couple of things. First of all, he came to his senses, which kind of indicates he wasn't thinking in his right mind. And most of us know when we give in to that inner urge that says, go do it, we give in to that desire, um, we're usually not in our right mind. And I don't know about you, but some of us, you've gone into a store with the intention of, I'm going to return this item. And that's it. And you come out with a shopping cart full of stuff and more credit card debt. You've gone into the grocery store with, I'm just going to pick up something for dinner. And literally, I've done this. I've come out with like pies and no dinner. And some of you, I mean, whatever it is that's, that's kind of indulging you, you, once you give in and thought, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and I'm going to give that a try. And once you give in, you're, you're in, you're fully there. But he, Jesus says, he came to his senses, which it literally means he started thinking as himself, which indicates he wasn't thinking as himself when he packed up his entire room and headed out and left and cut off his family. Then the other thing he did is that he went back. He acknowledged that I need to go back. Where I am right now is not going to do any benefit for me. And some would argue that the only reason he went back is because he wanted to get more money so he could break away and do again what he wanted to do. But what Jesus says is he went back because he acknowledged what he really needed, he could get from the Father. What he really needed, he could get from the Father. That this wasn't doing it for him. And for us, that would be the equivalent of us turning around and saying, hey, you know what, I am going to, the Bible calls it repentance. Literally turn away from this sinful thing that I'm engaging in and turn away, literally turn around from it and move away from it and stop doing it. And the other thing that he did is he acknowledged that, hey, I'm in this place of sin. He says, I'm going to go back to the Father and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He acknowledged what I did was wrong. Sometimes um, um, if you're like me and you do something stupid or you do something wrong, you don't say, hey, this was totally wrong. You just say, oh, maybe I should have done it later. I shouldn't have done it right now. Because if you say this is totally wrong, this is 100% wrong, I need to step away from it, then you have to face the guilt when you willingly choose to do it again. But if you just say, oh, this was an accident, I don't need to turn away from it. Maybe I should just do it later. You leave a door open so that you can go back to it. Now, uh, here's the thing. Verse 20, the rest of verse 20, says that, but while, this is, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Now think about this. 
He's coming home with his head held low. He's coming home broke or broken. He's coming home filled with guilt and pain and remorse. And from his point of view, he's like, I hope that the Father takes me back. What Jesus is illustrating, and and again, to the tax collector, the person who's doing wrong but doesn't think he's doing wrong, he says, but you are doing wrong. And if you will turn away, the Father is sitting there waiting for you. To the sinner, the person who's blatantly doing wrong and says, I enjoy every time I go do whatever it is I do. He says, if you turn away from that, you don't have to hope. You don't have to try to work it out. The Father is sitting there waiting for you. And even to the person who's pretending to do right, and you know you're doing wrong. He's saying the Father is sitting there with open arms waiting for you. You may be thinking, and this is what stops a lot of people from turning away from sinful acts, things that they know are wrong, that separate them from God. It's the guilt. It's the, I got to admit it. It's the, I don't know, you know, if God's going to take me back. And God's just sitting there with open arms saying, just come, just come. So here, but the Father, uh, let me jump back. Uh, The Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now this is, this is, this is important because uh, basically this is what he says. He comes back, head hung low, and he says, you know what, Dad? I messed up. I made some stupid decisions. I did some wrong stuff. I hurt family. I hurt you. But I want to try to work it out in my own strength so that you will forgive me. And pay attention to what the father does. The first thing the father does is said, bring the best robe in the house. Now, I don't know about you, but who has the best robe in your house? Well, in my house, not me. But in this case, it's the father. He's the wealthy one. He's the head of the family. He's the patriarch. He's basically saying, Jesus is telling them that when he came back, that the father said, bring the best robe in the house. The father was literally saying, go get my robe and put it on him. And elsewhere, if you read in scripture, it says that we, even though we are, our, our, our sin is as filthy rags, and it uses a more intense word there. It says that we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is holy and pure in God's sight. Not because we tried to work it out, but because when we come to the Father, that's what he gives to us. The next thing he said is, go and get a ring and put it on his finger. And the ring was a sign uh, that you are a member of the family. Which in that day means when he left and got all his money and took everything he had, he took his ring with him. The fact that he didn't have it likely means that when he went broke, he sold it. It wasn't important enough to him to maintain the family tie. He sold it. And the father 
looked at him and said, you are still my son, and put a ring on his finger. And that's what God does to us. The Bible says that we are grafted into the family of Christ. We are heirs with Christ, not because of what we do, not because we've worked out our sin, not because we've found a way to resolve our brokenness, but because Jesus Christ died in our place and paid our debt. And paved the way so that we could be included. And he's painting a picture for all of these people who are struggling with all of these issues. And and Jesus is painting a picture for them saying, hey, there's nothing you can do about your separation from God. and About that internal struggle you have going on. But that's not the end of your story. Because if you come to the Father, he will clothe you with his righteousness. And bring you into his family. And here's the final thing that he says. They rejoiced. They had a party. They had a celebration. And elsewhere it says that if just one, just one sinner repents and turns back to God, that there is a celebration in heaven. And yet in churches today, if one sinner who's not clothed right, or doesn't smell right, or doesn't act right, walks into the door, people look down on them and judge them because they don't fit the mold that we've shaped for them. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I don't know where each of us are in in, in our situation, uh, but here's the thing. We started this series because when we talk to people in our circle of influence, We're talking to people who usually fall into one, or I hate to label people, but they sometimes fall into one or two categories. They're either unchurched, meaning they've never been to church, they've never heard the language, they've, they've never had anyone talk to them about a relationship with God. Or maybe they did and they rejected it. Stop, I don't want to hear that because you're judging me, you're calling me a sinner, you're calling me a name, I don't even know what that is. Or they're de church. they used to go. But for some reason, maybe they had a falling out with someone or they did something wrong. You would not believe how many people that are in a church and they engage in a sinful lifestyle and someone judged them and called them out on it. And instead of walking them through this process, they just hammered it into them. And the picture that Jesus Christ paints for us is not of a father that's waiting to hammer us and judge us. And here's the reason why. Because he has already judged that sin as wrong said that there is a debt there is a consequence to that sin and it's literally death but instead of putting it on us he put it on his son Jesus Christ so that instead of us having to try to work or instead of us having to bear the weight Jesus Christ did and for us all we have to do is come and within our circles of influence our homes our schools our 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 whoever we play golf with or bowl with or go to movies with or hang out with or shop with, uh, those places that we go where we know people on a regular basis, the restaurants where we know the people by name, the cashiers we know by name, there are people who are separated from God. They're dealing with intense internal struggles. They're dealing with brokenness. And there are a lot of people, if you talk to them, they literally go home and cry themselves to sleep at night over the state that their life is in. Rather than tell them that, hey, there is a God that loves you. And he 
doesn't want you to be separated. And he, he already paid the debt for that weight and he can lift it up off of you so that you can be reconciled to him. We go to them and we say, you're a sinner. that's not what Jesus told these people. In essence, he told them, hey, you're separated from God. I know you're hurting, but the Father is just waiting for you to come back. He's waiting to clothe you with his righteousness. He's waiting to put his ring on your finger to show you are a part of his family. And in that culture, that was huge. Because all of these people would have known who Yahweh, who uh, he was. But what they didn't know was how to get to stand and we sing this last song and ask you to just again let God speak to your heart in your circles of influence people that you know you know what yeah maybe they need to hear that your sins were paid for not so much that hey you're a sinner and you're going to hell but hey there is a way for you to be reconciled to God and it's already all the work's already been done so as we sing this song just let God speak to your heart